Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Homegrown Horticultural Podcast. This week, we have Justin Weicker, lead gardener at the Provo City Center Temple. He has tons of landscape maintenance experience and talks about whether it's worth trying to salvage damaged trees in your yard. I also talk about things that should be getting done in the yard before cold weather sets in. I'm with Justin Weicker, Senior Gardener at the Provo City Center Temple. Justin, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm well. So we've been talking back and forth for a couple of weeks via text about doing a recording for the podcast. We finally got together. And what we wanted to talk about this time was what to do with trees that were damaged in the windstorm or just trees that are really damaged and how to maybe repair them or if they need to be replaced. The windstorm from a few weeks ago damaged a lot of trees. Did you see any particular species that were more prone to damage than others? Some of them are actually a lot of favorites with landscapers like the flowering pear, purple robe locust, even willow trees. A lot of those are, when they get bigger, they get a little bit weak, and there's always the evergreens that that tip over. So you're talking pine and spruce? Yeah. Especially on like the pears and the willows and the purple robe locust, what are some things they have in common that make them more susceptible to breaking in a windstorm or under even like a heavy snow load? Lack of maintenance, either improper pruning or people just really not paying too much attention to their trees. But there are some, such as the flowering pear and even the purple robe locusts that have some really narrow branch angles. And those tend to be weaker than the the wider ones, and the snow and the ice will get in there and, and push them apart and break them off. Or they'll just, a lot of times, the wind, when it blows, the trees will adapt to the direction the wind is blowing, and it's when it stops that they snap back and, and break off. So, But those narrow angles are just weaker. They get a lot of included bark down in the crotch, and that provides a weak point, and they'll break there. Well, it seems like also like purple robe locust has fairly strong wood, but it's brittle, I'm assuming, and insect damage from bores around the trunk and the crotches where the branches meet the trunk is weakened from there also. Yeah, that is true. Besides having brittle wood and insect damage, you mentioned something earlier that I thought was interesting that caused trees to fall over, especially like the conifers, the pines and spruce. And can you address the overwatering aspect of this? If the tree is planted in grass, people tend to water for their grass and it'll be a lot for those trees to handle and they'll have a very shallow root system. And uh, when the wind starts to blow on those larger trees, that's a lot of leverage because there are a lot of wind resistance and it'll the roots won't actually have enough soil to grab a hold of, they'll just lift the whole lawn right up out of the ground as they tip over. That's not really a good thing. And so if the trees are in the lawn, they have to be in the lawn, you know, whatever reason, what kind of irrigation schedule do you recommend to try to prevent this? Well, you can still water to keep your lawn green, but I would I would err a little bit on 
stressing your grass just a little bit and then water for the tree, uh, water deep and for a long period of time. So just occasionally just take your hose out there at a very slow trickle and just let it run for an hour and then you go and move it 10 feet away and let it run for another hour, that kind of thing, uh, once every couple of weeks or so for a good mature tree. Let's say the tree is still standing but it's had major limbs snapped out of it. What percentage of the canopy should be still intact to try to salvage the tree? If the canopy or the trunk is more than 40% compromised, the tree just needs to come out. So you can look at it, and if it's only you know about half there, it's time to take it out. On the Greenhouse Show, we oftentimes mention bolting the branch back together. And can you walk the listeners through that and then if and when you would recommend it and when you would recommend taking the branch completely out? If it's just a a split that's occurring over 18 inches to two feet, even I've seen branches bolted together that are split three feet deep or three feet down. But uh, what you need to do is somehow get the the split part back together. Now, I usually don't recommend wrapping anything around a tree, but this is one time where just to perform the repair, this is where I will recommend it. Get a packing uh, a, a tie-down strap, one of the ratcheting tie-downs, and just wrap it, insulate it with like a sheet of cardboard or newspaper or something so that it doesn't dig into the bark and make more damage and and just ratchet it so that it's holding it together. Then, uh, depending, a lot of times these branches can actually be heavier than they look. So you're going to want to get, I don't know, depending on the size of the branch, probably a half-inch long bolt that's long enough to go all the way through the branch with at least about an inch on one end. Then drill a hole straight through both, all the way through the branch, put the the bolt through and thread the nut on the other side. So once that bolt is in, does it ever come out? Nope. It stays in the tree forever. And the tree just grows around it? Yeah. We've also talked a little bit about cabling, which is a less common practice for homeowners, but can you describe cabling? Sure. Cabling is usually used for bigger trees, trees that are, that may be worth something, worth saving. And basically, it's just taking an eye bolt through two branches and then running a cable in between them. Um, It's usually done in a case where it actually the trunk that may be starting to twist and split just a little bit and just not necessarily used to remove stress or strain from the tree, but just to add support to those two branches that are having a problem. And so those two branches would be the ones in danger of collapsing because the trunk itself isn't that strong. Right. So do you recommend homeowners use this technique? It would depend on the risk assessments and uh, how much damage the tree could do and also the size and the age of the tree. So if it were, say, an oak tree, burr oak tree, that uh, is going to live six or 700 years and it, it, it may be close to a house, one branch is starting to to split away from the tree a little bit towards the house. This may be something they want to consider because that tree is going to cost a lot more to cut down and take out than it is to just cable that branch. 
So if you're, say you have maples, which some species of maples like Norway maple are infamous for internal rot. And so if you have a branch splitting or the trunk splitting and you see a lot of internal rot, what's your advice to the homeowners then? That tree has had possibly a lot of insect or disease damage and probably is not healthy enough to withstand the process involved in in the cabling or the bolting. It, it probably does not have the structural strength to support the bolts and stuff like that. So I would recommend at that point that they get a replacement plan in place and and plant the tree that they want to have replace that and plan on taking that tree out in say three to five years. To have an assessment done, let's say they're in doubt or they just want to save the tree anyway, even though they find some rots or cankers, could a certified arborist help assess the tree to determine whether it should come out or not? Oh yes, definitely besides being the senior gardener at the Provo City Center Temple, you are an arborist. Mm -hmm. Is there a place that they should go look for a company or an individual online that they could say, anybody can get a chainsaw on a truck. How do they know that the person they call is certified? A lot of the the tree companies that have a certified arborist on staff will advertise that. They can also go online to the International Society of Arboriculture's website, that isa-arbor.org, or it might be .com, I don't know for sure. But uh, they can go on there and they have a directory of all the registered certified arborists in your area. Does Utah Community Forest Council still maintain a list also? Yes, I believe they do. So ucfc.org would be maybe another option too. That would be an option, yes. Well, Justin, thank you so much for the time, and we will have you on again. Okay. yard ready for the winter is in full effect as especially on Saturdays you see pickup trucks or cars with trailers heading towards green waste facilities and you can hear mowers and chainsaws and other things running in people's yards. I wanted to talk about a few things with lawn cleanup or with yard cleanup and just give some suggestions on what to do with it. With our exceptionally warm weather this late in the year it's really going to be a good thing to clean up that field bindweed. And when I say clean up, it's spray it out. If it's in your lawn, you would want to use a product such as Ortho's Weed Clear or PBI Gordon's Q4 Plus. There's some other ones out there, but you want to find a lawn weed killer containing quinclorac, and that's spelled Q-U-I-N. C-L-O-R-A-C. Besides the bindweed, there are many other perennial weeds that are easier to kill in the fall as compared to in the spring. 
And so if you have problems with common mallow or what we would sometimes call cheese it weed, that's another one. You can go after black medic and plantain. Now, this is not banana type plant, but an actual weed we call plantain. There's three or four species of those that are common here. So at any rate, there's a good opportunity over the next several days to take care of these weeds before it gets too cold. Now on the annual weeds, and so those are weeds that germinate and die within one year. Not all of them germinate in the spring. Some of them germinate in the fall, so you can keep an eye out. And if you see weeds popping up out of the ground over the next three or four weeks, those can also be sprayed out. Things like cheat grass will germinate in the fall. Sometimes burr buttercup will also germinate in the fall, and those can be cleaned up just by hoeing them out or spraying them, or even if you have a weed torch, carefully burning them if it's appropriate. Being mid-October, we're not really going to ripen many more things in our gardens unless you are growing cool season crops. So things like tomatoes and peppers should be cleaned up over the next week or so, And the process of doing that was described, I believe, in last week's podcast on how to harvest green tomatoes and save them and have them ripen later. Peppers you need to use soon. And then you also need to get whatever winter squash, like the buttercup or the butternut and the spaghetti squash, out. And the way to tell those are, are ripe is if the skin or the rind, you know, we call the skin, is hard, you can't really get your fingernail into it, and they kind of take on a dull, waxy appearance. If they're not ripe, they're probably not going to, and you may just need to compost the winter squash. Now, when you have your produce out, the next thing you want to do is clean out the actual plants. I do not like leaving those in my garden. So I will either compost them or send them to green waste if they're not diseased or full of pests. If I have diseased tomatoes and peppers or if I have diseased squash plants, those I just throw away. I clean them out for a couple of reasons. One, so I can work compost into my soil more easily. And two, if I work the soil, and I'm not talking like tilling it to death, But if I either hand work the soil or take the tiller out and just go through my garden once, doing that will help reduce the number of squash bugs and, say, grasshopper egg masses hiding in my garden. Now, it's also getting time to clean out our flower beds, and it's the same process. You can let hard frost hit your annuals and perennials, if you would like to, before you take any action. Now, your perennials need to be going dormant, so they should be yellow and brown before you cut them back, but oftentimes hard frost will do that for you. So cut the perennials down to within an inch or two of the ground, and then you can just pull the annuals out. Now, it's okay, especially if they're not diseased, to leave some of the roots behind in there. Now, the reason I clean these out is similar to the garden, just so I can more easily work the soil and get some compost worked in if I need to, and then I throw away anything that's dead or diseased, and those will go in the garbage, and then if it's relatively clean material, those can be composted or sent to green waste. Now, some people ask me about leaving the seed heads in the ground or scattering them, and if you have perennials that you know will self-sow, it's totally fine to cut those seed heads and just kind of 
crush them up in your hand and broadcast them out into the soil. Now, as far as leaves go, you don't want to leave those on your lawn unless it's just a really light layer. If you have problems seeing the lawn through the mass of leaves, they need to be cleaned up because if you don't, you run the risk of getting snow mold and creating an anaerobic environment underneath them because they kind of make a slimy mass and the lawn will be suffocated underneath. I like to use my lawnmower and chop the leaves up and then I'll bag them and put them into a wheelbarrow or something that when they're chopped up, it's so much easier to work them into the soil or rake them into the soil if you're not completely working them in, raking them in lightly to introduce some soil on top of them, just here and there will help them break down a little bit more quickly. Now, if you can't use all the leaves you have in your yard, see if any of the neighbors want them or send them to green waste. But I, I sure hate just throwing those away because it's in essence free compost that will improve your soil. And so once I have those chopped up, it's also totally fine to incorporate them into your flower beds so that it'll improve the soil there. Now, we've hit this several times, but something you should not be doing is pruning. There are some exceptions that I'll talk about. One, if your trees or shrubs have dead or diseased wood, by all means, get it out. Another one that would be acceptable for fall pruning, even though it probably should have been done earlier, is safety concerns. You know, if a limb is growing over the sidewalk that nobody can get around, you have limbs obstructing the view of you're trying to back out of your driveway, if you have limbs from trees that are in danger of crushing your home or hanging over your cars, those can come out. You want to cut minimally, but you don't want a lawsuit or thousands of dollars in damage from those limbs breaking. Otherwise, most shade trees can be pruned starting in mid-January. Fruit trees such as apples and pears should be pruned in mid-February, and the stone fruits, including peaches, plums, and cherries, apricots, nectarines, should be pruned starting in mid-March on the Wasatch Front. These dates can be delayed by about two to three weeks in our mountain valleys in cities like Heber and Logan. The Homegrown Horticulture Podcast is a production of Utah State University Extension. Find us at www.extension.usu.edu slash Utah. Thank you again for listening.